Hi, I'm Drew Beebe, the host of a new podcast from CNN called Great Big Story. It's a show about the curious side of the human experience. And I know that sounds like a lofty idea, but hear me out. Over the course of this show, we'll talk to some of the most interesting people you've ever met, from brilliant code breakers to a couple building their own artificial island. If you're itching for a good story and you're curious like I am, well, I think you might like this show. Give us a listen wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Good evening. We have new reporting tonight on when the public will get to see public impeachment hearings on who may testify, as well as the drafting of articles of impeachment against the president. And in the face of that, there are new signs tonight that his defenders still have few good answers on the actual substance of the Ukraine affair, even though behind the scenes they are reportedly troubled by it. Seen as Jamie Gangel citing Republican sources who say that senior diplomat William Taylor's testimony this week was, quote, a game changer, unquote, that's still reverberating within their ranks. Privately, that is. Publicly, for the second straight day, Republicans, for the most part, avoided directly confronting or discussing the evidence he gave. Instead, they objected to the way the hearings are being conducted and the way Ambassador Taylor came to know what he knew. Anything, it seems, but the actual details from this career nonpartisan civil servant and West Point graduate and Vietnam War vet who detailed with contemporaneous notes and was handpicked for the job by the president's secretary of state. Yesterday, Republican Senator John Thune certainly took what he said seriously enough to gravely say the emerging picture it painted of President Trump, quote, is not a good one. Today, however, it was a different story. Right now, we're hearing one side of the story, and until we get the full picture, I think it, I said this yesterday, I think it's hard to draw any conclusions. You said it, well, you didn't, the, the picture that painted of the president wasn't great. Well, Do you it was great? based on the reporting of what you guys were saying about it, but I went back yesterday and actually read what was said, and, um, and there is. There's a lot of um, secondhand information, a lot of sort of hearsay, not hearsay, but in the sense that it was passed on. It wasn't a direct conversation. Well, a short time later, Senator Thune had lunch with the president and a number of other Republican senators, including uh, Lindsey Graham, who raised the same hearsay objection as Senator Thune. Did he talk to the president? He talked to Ambassador Sodlin, who talked to the president. Oh, that's hearsay. Word hearsay has been getting quite a workout lately, and not just where Ambassador Taylor is concerned. It was, you'll recall, the first line of defense when reports first surfaced of the whistleblower who set this whole story in motion. He had no direct knowledge, they said, just secondhand hearsay. That person never saw the report, never saw the call, really never saw the call, heard something. We're not going to try the president of the United States based on hearsay. He had no firsthand knowledge. He heard something from someone. If I understand it right, it's from someone who had secondhand knowledge. He says he heard this from other people. The complaint relied on hearsay evidence. It's always I talk to somebody else. It's hearsay. The secondhand account of something someone didn't hear isn't as good as the best evidence of what was actually said. And that's what they're looking for right now. Uh, hearsay or not, the subsequent testimony, but mainly the White House's own rough transcript of the president's call with Ukraine's president substantiated every key point that the whistleblower raised. But hey, that was last month. Who remembers last month? Senator Graham today introduced a measure condemning the House impeachment process, taking to the Senate floor today, complete with poster boards and bullet points. Keep it honest, it is basically, though, a stunt. The measure is non-binding, and one of his central objections today on the, uh, on the secrecy of proceedings so far rings kind of hollow. Take a look at his views on testimony and secrecy back when he was a congressman leading the effort to impeach Bill Clinton. 
The depositions, I think, will determine whether or not we go forward with hearings. I think it's a very smart thing to do is to depose these people and find out what they've got to say and not drag this thing out unnecessarily. And it's going to end by the end of the year. Which, oddly enough, is pretty much what the Democrats are doing. Sources telling CNN they're now planning to transition to public hearings by the middle of next month and releasing transcripts and bringing back some of the witnesses they've already deposed behind closed doors, which gives today's resolution, like yesterday's storming of the secure hearing room, more than a whiff of just, you know, theater. As to yesterday's stunt, which delayed but didn't prevent a Defense Department of, uh, official deposition, a quick reminder, Republicans on the, appro- on the appropriate three committees they were not in any way kept out of this. In fact, we've learned since uh, that directly from a Republican participant just how far from the truth that notion is. Congressman Mark Meadows is telling The Washington Post that each side uh, in this uh, in the skiff alternates questioning in set time blocks and that there's been no limit provided for the number of questions that each side can ask the witnesses. Adding to that, lawmakers and aides telling CNN that Democrats and Republicans have traded off hour-long and 45-minute rounds until all of their questions have been exhausted. In other words, both sides have equal time and plenty of it. We've also learned the names of three Congress members who stormed the hearing yesterday, uh, you know, with, uh, with great bravado. They were actually on the proper committees that gave them the right to be in the room that they allegedly were breaking into. That's where we are. Those, are, those folks are Fred Keller of Pennsylvania, Ron Wright of Texas, and Carol Miller of West Virginia. None of them actually needed to storm anything. A spokesman for Congressman Keller telling us he was acting in solidarity with non-committee members who were not allowed in. A Wright spokesperson saying, quote, he walked into the skiff with his colleagues to show support for their efforts and believes that all members of Congress, Republican or Democrat, deserve to know all the facts. As for Congresswoman Miller, she sent a statement which did not at all explain why she stormed the skiff that she was perfectly entitled to be in and ask questions of witnesses in. She did, however, say, quote, the American people deserve transparency and President Trump deserves due process. Joining us now, two Republican former congressmen and now CNN political commentator, Sean Duffy and Charlie Dent. Congressman uh, Duffy, I want to especially welcome you. It's my first time uh, having you on the show, so I appreciate you being here and part of CNN. Thanks for having me, Anderson. Uh, So, Congressman, let's start with you, Congressman Duffy. If, If Republicans don't think the president did anything wrong here, shouldn't they focus on that rather than focusing on the process, which, as you know, is in the early stages, like a grand jury doesn't isn't open, uh, it then is going to move to open hearings. Yeah, first, the Congress is not a grand jury. So the concern with the process, Anderson, is the fact that the American people don't have all the evidence. And so what happens is right, but the there's a secret are going to be released. Kind of Soviet style. The, the transcripts no, hold on will a second. Be, Let me tell you why, why we're concerned about it. Uh-huh. We, we, we don't we don't have it. So. In secret style, Schiff has these hearings, and then he spoon-feeds leaks out to the media, and then Democrats come out and talk about it, and there's almost a, a public trial in the media of President Trump without all the facts. So if you have a different process where every American, every member of Congress, all the media get to see all of the testimony, then we can all judge it for ourselves instead of looking at what Adam Schiff wants us to see and convict the president on evidence that we haven't seen and do not have. Okay, let me ask you about that, because uh, first of all, you're implying that only Democrats leak, which, as we all know, that's not the case. Uh, and certainly Republicans have leaked things about that that were said uh, in, in this. And opening statements have been released. Also, full transcripts are going to be released, and they're going to call back these people for public hearings. So how is this like a Soviet-style starch chamber? 
Well, so it, the, the reason we go to the SCIF, Anderson, is when you have classified information. So I sat on financial services. I was the chair of the Oversight Committee on Financial Services, and we had public hearings. The Congress has public hearings unless it's classified. Why would Adam Schiff have closed hearings? If you're not confident in the evidence that you have against the president, you would close it down and spoon feed the, the media and, 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 and the American people. If you were confident and you had smoking guns, you would open it up and let us all look right. at it. Okay. But th this right. process Which has never been do. used before. If you look right. at what happened with Clinton and Nixon, there's an open process that we all get to see. It's not okay. closed door. Congressman Dent, what about that? Well, look, I, I don't think the process is ideal either, and they should be a little bit more transparent. I do understand why they have... They take depositions sometimes behind closed door. I was chairman of the Ethics Committee. We did all our depositions behind closed door doors for, because there were personnel matters. But at the end of the day, this really isn't so much about process and procedure. If the facts aren't, aren't, are not on your side, if the policy is not on your side, well, then you argue process and procedure. That's what's happening here. Uh, because let's face it, the substance of these allegations are very serious. And that Bill Taylor uh, testimony yesterday or his opening statement it was very compelling. And, and basically, he's pointing out there's a quid pro quo. You know, aid was withheld until, uh, you know, it, it, was, it, with, it was being withheld right. until he made a public statement. It was being withheld so, uh, unless he was going to dig up dirt. I Charlie. mean, this is really bad. I mean, this is this is wrong. You cannot use your federal office I, uh, to dig up dirt on your political but, opponent, even without the quid pro quo. Congressman Charlie, if, you, if, if you've ever spent any time in a courtroom, you don't let people give an opening statement and then convict them on the opening statement. We actually have a process where there's cross-examination with a judge. Right. The credibility. As you yourself said, the, it's not a grand jury and this is not no, a courtroom. This is, this is a political process, but, not a legal process. It, right. And so with the political process, you're trying to judge the president on an opening statement when you haven't heard the 10 hours of testimony and the cross-examination. Right. Which is why he's That's going foolish. to be called back and the way. transcript is going to be released. No? I mean, so I don't understand... But, but the, 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 the problem, Anderson, is that there's, there's, there's people like Charlie who are out here trying to convict the president based on the leaks. If everyone was silent, if there was no leaks and there was just well, depositions and I'm it not, was buttoned right. down and, and, and we didn't have any information, that's one thing. The, the, the transcript, happened. by the way, wasn't and leaked the, and, and the opening statements, you know, but, those are released. And I'm not, yeah. I'm not trying to convict anybody. Right, I just right, right but it's specific about I what benefits Adam Schiff and his narrative gets leaked out. And but so if you don't have all the evidence... It's hard to sit and say, we're going to convict the president okay. when I haven't heard all of the testimony. And that's what's so frustrating for Republicans. And I think if Democrats were smart, they would bring Republicans in, make them part of the process. Right. And if there was really Congressman, something right. there, Congressman Dent, them to say yes. All right. Congressman Dent, Republicans, just to be clear, are part of the process. There is an equal number of Republicans in that skiff yesterday who could ask questions. And as Mark Meadows uh, said publicly, they can ask as many questions as they want. They have equal time. And they go as long as they want. That's the benefit of having private uh, hearings at this point, And that will then go public. And I want to play something that former Congressman Trey Gowdy said back in 2018 about public hearings. Let's listen. Public hearings are a circus, Margaret. I mean, that's why I don't like to do them. I don't do many of them. I, I mean, it's a freak show. I mean, the private interviews are much more constructive. Congressman Dent, are they more constructive? Well, having conducted investigations really on the ethics committee and Trey Gowdy served with me on that committee and he was a very constructive member of that committee. And I found that sometimes in those private settings behind closed doors, we could have very candid conversations among members. And again, speaking, the ethics committee is a little different because we're dealing with personnel matters. Everything's behind closed doors. But I found that because we could operate in that way, sometimes you couldn't distinguish the Republicans from the Democrats because we were just trying to get the facts and get the truth. 
uh, before we made a judgment whether to sanction somebody or to exonerate them. So there are advantages to being behind closed doors. And that said, I do think at some point this, these, uh, these hearings have to come out and into the public. Uh, and I think the transparency would do them some good. I do think the Democrats should also have a vote on the inquiry, even though they don't need to, I would I would do it just as a matter of form and frankly, take away a talking point from the president. Congressman Duffy, I want to give you the final word. Yes. Yeah, so first of all, I agree. There's there's a time and a place to have uh, behind the scenes interviews uh, done by lawyers and members of Congress. But the whole investigation thus far shouldn't be behind closed doors. I think if if Democrats open it up, let us all have the respect, the American people and members of Congress see the testimony and make judgments for themselves, uh, not based on just leaks, but based on the actual testimony. I think the the American people would be better off. Democrats would be better off. The president would be better off. This would be a process that we could all buy into. But when you when you close it off, then you get these process arguments because we don't have all the information. And I think we're entitled to we deserve all of the information. Charlie does. You do. Anderson, I do. And and so do the American people. And so I hope Adam Schiff opens it up and we can have a transparent process that's American style, not Soviet style. I don't think you'll find anybody in the the press who does not want a public hearing so that we can all hear all the details, because obviously, uh, whatever side of the political aisle you're on, it's going to be fascinating. Congressman Duffy, I appreciate it. Great to have you with us. Congressman Dent as well. We also got breaking news next about how close Democratic lawmakers are getting to actually sitting down drafting articles of impeachment. Also, we'll be joined by a member of the House Intelligence Committee to talk about what happened yesterday with the storming of the skiff, if that's what it uh, was. What's really going on day to day is her colleagues hear testimony. And later, the White House's other defense tactic, blaming it all on what they call the deep state and what used to be called nonpartisan professionals doing their duty and following the rules. One of those professionals is here with us, former director of national intelligence, James Clapper, when we continue. Got some breaking news right now on just how far along Democrats are in the impeachment process. House Judiciary Committee uh, senior member David Cicilline telling CNN that talks are preliminary, but both staff and committee members have discussed the broad shape of what articles of impeachment may look like. One member who spoke with CNN on background said that while there could be just a few actual articles uh, focused on larger transgressions, the accompanying report could be an opportunity to provide Democrats room to include more specific violations, including emoluments, violations, or even alleged obstruction of justice from the Mueller report. Joining us now is House Intelligence Committee member Jackie Speer. Congresswoman Speer, thanks for being with us. What can you tell us about an overall timeline here? House Majority Whip James Clyburn says the inquiry could be wrapped up between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Is that realistic? Well, I don't think any of us really know yet what the timeline is. I think we're moving as expeditiously as we can. Uh, We've had three weeks on the job and have had some outstanding interviews with uh, witnesses I'm sure will be called back at public hearings. You know, I'm reminded that during the Benghazi committee, there were 107 private closed-door interviews that took place. And they didn't have their first public hearing until four months in. So if you're comparing what we're doing with the impeachment inquiry versus the Benghazi uh, committee work, which was held and controlled by the Republicans, we're on a fast track. Well, obviously, as you said, one of the criticisms from Republicans is that the inquiry is you know, conducted behind closed doors, even though there are Republicans who are able to ask questions just like Democrats. Sherman Schiff has said there will be public hearings. What has to happen before those begin? I mean, is there some threshold that, that, that has to be met? I know more people are supposed to be interviewed next week. So I think it's just waiting for these final sets of interviews. I can't say whether there's four or eight. I don't 
know that. Um, but I, I can suggest that after we finish this next tranche of interviews, uh, we will be in a position to have open hearings. And uh, I am as interested as Chairman Schiff is, and I think the Democratic caucus, to making sure that there is a very fulsome open uh, hearing discussion on what is a really serious issue. And that's why the Republicans aren't talking about the actual corpus. That is the conduct of the president trying to get a foreign government to interfere in our election on his behalf. Uh, that's the crime. And that's not what they want to talk about. It, it, do you have a sense of, of if it's going to be all witnesses that have already appeared that would be called to publicly testify? That seems unlikely, I would imagine. And do you know, I mean, who actually makes the, the selection? Well, I'm, the selection will probably be made by the chairman, uh, Mr. Schiff. But uh, I'm certain that we will all be able to weigh in as to who we think are uh, appropriate witnesses to uh, lay out the case. And let's also remind everyone that not only was this a whistleblower who came forward and provided a, a very comprehensive complaint, the president then corroborated it himself by releasing the summary of his telephone conversation with President Zelensky. It's interesting that the Republicans have been using the same hearsay argument that they used yeah. against the whistleblower against uh, Taylor. Um, obviously, there are going to be more people. This guy Morrison from the, the National Security Council staff, uh, I think he's a senior official from the National Security Council, who uh, is going to come next week. And according to Taylor, uh, will will back up some of the things that, that Taylor has said. But uh, you don't hear them talking about hearsay anymore. You don't even hear them talking about the whistleblower anymore. Uh, they're now saying it's all hearsay from Taylor. And the other thing that's quite interesting is if you go to Mr. Volker, who was the uh, special envoy to the Ukraine, uh, he then released, because they were on his personal cell, his text messages from WhatsApp. And again, we saw evidence to corroborate that, in fact, money to Ukraine that had been appropriated by Congress was being withheld because the president wanted his pound of flesh um, from Ukraine in terms of an investigation, uh, placing the, the country at great risk and, and all the people um, and all the, the soldiers who were fighting in Donbass. So it, it is it's really a, in my view, a very clear case. Congressman Spear, I appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Thank you, Anderson. Want to get perspective now on the breaking news. Another, uh, another day of Republicans attacking the process. Joining us, CNN senior political analyst David Gergen, CNN chief legal analyst Jeffrey Tubin, and CNN chief political correspondent Dana Bash. Um, Dana, I mean, the argument from Republicans that, you know, this is all happening in secret. I mean, logically, that is just, I mean, there are Republicans in there. It's not as if it's all Democrats, this cabal of Democrats um, with, with witnesses. Public hearings, though, Clearly, Democrats want those as much as anybody would yeah, say. Yeah, because that's exactly right. They believe it supports the, the charges against the president. Right. The whole argument that uh, the Democratic leadership makes is that the, the, the best thing for them is to have as much public support behind what they're doing as possible. And you can't get that unless you demonstrate your case in public. I mean, that's what that's just a kind of a basic fact. What is striking and one of the reasons why still it is people are disgusted by the place where I live, Washington, D.C., is because there is always amnesia when another 
party takes control. I mean, what she said about Benghazi is true. Republicans did act in private as they investigated before they went in, pub- went in public. And that is exactly what Democrats are doing. Having said that, Republicans understand how critical it is for as much as Democrats want to increase public support for impeachment, Republicans want to decrease it, which is why they're attacking the process, because they think it works. Can I just add, I mean, it it is true that Taylor's testimony, as dramatic and persuasive as the opening statement was, it is mostly hearsay uh, as far as the president is concerned. He didn't interact with the president. He interacted with people who interacted with the president. Now, just as the whistleblower didn't interact from what we know. Correct. And that's I mean, hearsay evidence is admitted every day in courtrooms in America, and this isn't a courtroom. But it is true that uh, Taylor did not have one-on-one contact with the president, and that's something that you're going to hear from Republicans. And, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a legitimate point to raise. It doesn't discredit him as a witness. He doesn't claim to have spoken to the president, but I just think it's worth, I mean, it is, you know, in fairness, worth sure. pointing that out. David Gergen, when you hear the Republicans, uh, you know, making the arguments about the process, is there validity there, in your opinion? Anderson, I believe for some time that right from the beginning, the Democrats could have played this differently and should have. I think they should have voted up front uh, to have this impeachment process go forward, as has happened in the last two uh, impeachments uh, like this. And I think it's important. Uh, it would have been helpful if they had been able to call witnesses of their own for this uh, this period of the process when everything is secret. Uh, and I think as they go forward, they got, the Democrats ought to be looking for ways to to send a message to the public that this is a fair game. Having said that, having said that, I think it's also very, very clear that the Republicans are overstating, uh, you know, their criticisms of, of the way this is going on. If if you there, this is being played by the Benghazi rules, essentially, which the Republicans themselves uh, came up with. And if you go back to Bill Clinton, before they went to impeachment, before the process started, there was Ken Starr and a lengthy process of, of inquiry that was done behind closed doors and built that up so that when they handed it to the committee, a lot was already done. Mm-hmm. Similarly, in the Nixon case, there was a, there were Watergate hearings with Sam Irvin and, and Howard Baker and others. They got huge publicity, and there were also lots of private investigations that went on before the Judiciary Committee actually started writing articles of impeachment. Mm. So there is a it's, it's worth remembering that. I think that the Republicans, as I say, are overstating their their case. And on the hearsay question, listen, we don't need hearsay. We, we have we have the tape. We have a transcript that what Taylor is so good at is helping us understand the environment and what the network and what people around the president believe they were doing. Hmm. Um, David, stand by everybody else. We have breaking news now more on the key testimony expected next week in the impeachment inquiry that could make the White House pretty uneasy. Details from Capitol Hill in just a moment. More breaking news tonight. We touched on it just in the last segment. Promises to be big. Sources telling CNN that when a top White House Russia and Europe advisor from the National Security Council testifies before House impeachment investigators, he's going to corroborate key elements of William Taylor's testimony. This could be the first such testimony from directly inside the West Wing and could bring this all that much closer to the president himself. CNN's Manaraju joins us now with the late details. So uh, this is this uh, national security senior official Morrison. W- what are you learning about it? 
Yeah, we do expect that Tim Morrison will cooperate and will appear before House investigators next week. He's asking for a subpoena. He will get a subpoena undoubtedly, and he will testify. And what we are told, our team is told from multiple sources, is that he's expected to corroborate a key, el- key elements of Bill Taylor's testimony from earlier this week when the top diplomat from Ukraine had testified that the president had withheld vital military aid in exchange for pushing for an investigation or the Ukrainians to publicly announce an investigation into the Bidens. Now, Morrison's name is important because he is cited about 15 times throughout that opening statement from Bill Taylor. And Bill Taylor had referenced multiple conversations that they had about why the aid had been withheld, concerns that the that the diplomats had, that Taylor had about the, the aid being withheld. And at, w- at one point in one of the conversations, uh, Morrison told Taylor about a conversation that the president had with his top ambassador to the European Union, Gordon Sondland, in which the president had asked, has said that the president of Ukraine needed to go publicly to the microphones and say that they were investigating the Bidens and also say they were investigating 2016 election interference. And that's something, according to Taylor's testimony, that Morrison had some concerns about. So we do expect there to be some corroboration of Taylor's testimony. Now, we are also told that he does not believe that there were any that the administration necessarily had done anything wrong with all of this. And we don't we believe that his testimony, from what we were told, will have some nuance about whether there was any quid pro quo or not. So he may not raise as many alarms as Taylor. We'll just ultimately wait and have to see. But uh, we do expect that he we were told that he has taken notes about his past conversations. And those notes will also provide a basis of his testimony. But, of course, Anderson, this comes at a key time as the impeachment investigators are trying to figure out exactly what happened here. And here's an individual who is a key person in the White House, currently serving in the White House, who will testify about all these matters. The question, though, ultimately the Republicans will raise is whether or not he has firsthand knowledge of any of this. They're already pushing back on Bill Taylor's testimony, saying he didn't have firsthand knowledge of it. But we are hearing that Republicans and the White House are concerned about this upcoming testimony. And and is the White House going to block this? I mean, you said he asked for a subpoena. He did ask for a subpoena. We're told from his attorney that he will. He's informed the House committees that he will appear if there is a subpoena. And I asked her, his attorney, whether or not he's definitely going to appear. And she said, currently, yes. So at the moment, it appears that he is. Now, the White House has told other people within the administration not to appear, State Department officials and the like, people who are currently serving. They have listen to the subpoenas and not the instructions from the administration. So we expect probably the White House to urge him not to appear. But what they will ultimately do to stop him is unclear. But at the moment, all expectations are that he's going to deliver testimony that will at least back up this key U.S. diplomat's account. All right. And Raj Mano, thanks very much. Back now with our team. Jeff, significant? Yes, because, the, you know, one of the core issues here is was aid withheld uh, because uh, the president wanted dirt on Joe Biden. And this this official is someone who was involved in the decision to withhold aid. Now, I don't know what he's going to say. We'll have to wait and see. But to the extent that story can be fleshed out or refuted, that's good. I mean, look, I, you know, I think any reasonable person should want more evidence, should want sure. to know whether the story is, you know, is, is fully told and whether the president and the administration did anything wrong. 
certainly this is someone you'd want to hear from, and it looks like they're going to hear from. And certainly John Bolton, obviously, Mm -hmm. the National Security Advisor, uh, is somebody they would like to hear from as well. Oh, absolutely. They've been pretty quiet about that, how they're going to deal with John Bolton. And John Bolton himself has been uh, eerily quiet. It makes you wonder um, how close the book deal is or whether or not there's more coming out. I mean, I don't even say that facetiously. Um, He certainly did not leave on on good terms at all with the president. but, but you're absolutely right. The, the, this is, though, one of those questions about private versus public. These are depositions. They're trying to build a case just like you do in a court of law. And let's just say that Morrison does corroborate what Bill Taylor said about the core issue, about whether or not the money was withheld. That, that Sunland had this conversation with, with Ukrainian official. Exactly, which is spelling all about out. spelling out. This is why we're withholding Which, money. by the way, Sunland, uh, supposedly in his testimony, said he didn't remember uh, those any kind of conversation like that. Exactly. But what you what the Democrats want in order to make their case publicly is not just these officials to lay it out in private, but ultimately when we get to the public hearings for somebody like Morrison or others to be a John Dean, to be willing to come forward and say in public, yes, this happened and I didn't think it was right. That is a moment that if they don't have, it'll be easier for Republicans to poke holes in it. Mm. Um, just in terms of the, the, the process, will the, the idea of transcripts, I mean, Adam Schiff has said that transcripts would be released uh, from even the SCIF area. Correct. Um, it, it, do we know a timeline on that at all? I, I, I think they want to do it fairly soon. Right. The most important thing that has to happen is, and is classified information review. They have to take out anything that's classified, but it's not a grand jury. That shouldn't be all that difficult. David Gergen, I mean, do you see the White House suddenly deciding to try to stop uh, Morrison from testifying? I think they'll do everything they can to stop him. Um, I, his, his testimony is significant, Anderson, because Taylor is, had, had bl- delivered this blockbuster testimony, but it's very much in conflict with Sondland. And they need to call Sondland back, and then we're going to have a comparison between the two. And to have Morrison come in behind this and say Taylor's got the right version here of the truth will really help to, to, to bolster the credibility and diminish the force of Republican anti-arguments, saying, you know, Taylor's, it's all secondhand, it doesn't matter, it doesn't, doesn't mean anything. Morrison is really critical, as, as we've just heard in, in that 15-page statement. He's, he was a key player. I'd never heard of him. But I said, suddenly, you got to get this guy up there to testify because he's really critical. Jeff, I mean, can the White House stop him? I mean, the, when Mono asked uh, Morrison's attorney, he said, currently, yes, he's going to appear. Well, I mean, they can fire him. I mean, that, that's what they can do. I mean, they, but would firing they, him stop him from not necessarily, but he they could threaten to fire him and he could back off. I mean, if he wants to testify, there is what about because he works in the White House executive privilege, not applicable. I, you know, as I understand it, his story is not about conversations with the president. Um, I suppose they could go to right, court and try to try to get it, try to get it. <laughs> right. Hey, we're, you're learning. Uh, try to get an injunction to stop it. That seems extremely unlikely to me. I don't can't believe any court would do that in advance. Um, I, you know, w- what's so interesting about how these hearings has unfolded, it has really become a test of conscience for these government officials, because it's quite clear the White House doesn't want anyone from the State Department, anyone from the Defense Department to testify. But they have testified. Mm-hmm. Um, they have been subject to subpoena and they would have had to fight the subpoena. But, you know, th- they could have stretched it out and, and gone to court. And they haven't so far. And, and you know, fundamentally, I think it's going to be up to Morrison. Yeah. Uh, David Gergen, uh, Dan Bash, thank you very much. Jeff Tubin's going to stay here because there's yet more breaking news. And I want Jeff's take on it. CNN has learned that Attorney General William Barr's probe into the intelligence and origins of the 2016 Trump-Russia investigation 
is now a criminal investigation. It's a big deal. Joining us uh, as well will be former uh, director of national intelligence, James Clapper. We'll be right back. More breaking news tonight. CNN's uh, Evan Perez reports that Attorney General William Barr's probe into the origins of the 2016 Russian investigation has now expanded into a criminal probe, according to a person familiar with the matter. The New York Times first reported this just earlier tonight. Here's a key passage from the New York Times, quoting, The move gives the prosecutor running it, John H. Durham, the power to subpoena witness testimony and documents to impanel a grand jury and to file criminal charges. Back with me now, CNN Chief Legal Analyst Jeffrey Tubin and retired Lieutenant General uh, James Clapper, the former Director of National Intelligence and a CNN National Security Analyst, also the author of Facts and Fears, Hard Truth from a Life in Intelligence. Uh, Jeff, explain why this is significant. Well, as, as you quoted, th- once there's a criminal investigation, the prosecutors have criminal process. They can get search warrants. They can get uh, grand jury subpoenas. They can use bring people to a grand jury. You know, it, it, it ratchets up the pressure on the people who are the subjects of the investigation. It's important to point out that just because there is a criminal investigation doesn't mean any crime occurred, much less that specific people committed a crime. But for the people who have been the targets of what seems like a right-wing conspiracy theory, you know, led by Sean Hannity and Donald Trump, it's got to be an unnerving experience to know that this is now ratcheted up to that level. Um, and for those who believe that the Justice Department and, and Attorney General Barr in particular is essentially, you know, being a henchman for President Trump, this will only uh, reinforce that idea. I mean, when you consider all the legal issues facing the United States of America, that that uh, the attorney general has traveled to Italy and other places around the world on this. What seems to me wild goose chase is really remarkable, but it shows how much this obsession with showing that the Russia investigation was somehow illegitimate in its inception has been a guiding principle of this Justice Department. Director Clapper, uh, as the man who you know was there and oversaw the launch of the Russia investigation, what do you make of this? Well, I should, uh, yeah, I'm very cur- curious. It's presumably, I, I guess I'm one of those uh, uh, under investigation. And, I, I, and you just heard about this? Yes, I just uh, uh, you know, read the clip on, uh, about 20 minutes ago. Um, I found the, t- the timing interesting, uh, given the uh, increasing heat uh, around the impeachment inquiry. And so uh, it, it, uh, the timing's interesting. I'll just let it go at that. And the other thing I, I wonder about is whether we're talking about the overall uh, investigation of the Russian uh, reporting on the Russian uh, interference, uh, or are we talking about the counterintelligence investigation that was launched in July by the, by the FBI about potential uh, in, engagement and collusion, whatever you want to call it, between the Russians and, and the Trump campaign? So, I, do you think what, I get what do very you think curious it is? about what what is the alleged criminal activity that uh, prompted this? Do you have any idea, even I mean, what they might think may rise to the level of a criminal offense? No, I don't. Uh, that's uh, uh, obviously an item of great interest to me. Uh, what, what is it that any of us did that uh, r- would rise the level of a, a criminal infraction? Well, and I, I, I just don't know. I, I can tell you what the what the theory has right. been is that there is this uh, Miss Food character um, who is, a, you know, who works in a university in Italy. And the theory uh, has been that somehow the deep state people in the CIA planted with him the idea that um, the Russians were 
um, you know, help, helping Trump. Ms. Food told it to uh, various campaign officials, George Papadopoulos, among mm-hmm. others. It got back to the FBI, and that's what launched the investigation. So the, the claim is that, you know, the, the, the deep state started this investigation. There's no evidence, as far as I'm aware, to support that hypothesis. It is it clearly, it, I mean, it is at this point just a right-wing fantasy, but that, that I think, is the, is the it, core allegation. It's mifsud, I believe. Mifsud, no, I ju- and If I might add to, to what Jeffrey just said, uh, I'd just make the point that uh, that had absolutely nothing to do with the intelligence community assessment that was uh, done in January of, t- of 2017 and briefed to President-elect Trump and his team Trump Tower on January 6th. Uh, so the, that, those are, again, separate things. And that, that is a really far-fetched uh, th- theory, in my view, that, that somehow MISID was set up by the FBI to create this uh, uh, conspiracy that uh, you know, he was trying to generate the impression that the Russians were uh, in, co- in cahoots. Uh, one, you know, one, of just... the, one of the other like, big problems with this conspiracy theory is that, you know, Mueller had two enormous indictments, one of, um, you know, the same, in the Internet Research Agency, you know, using social media in, out of St. Petersburg um, to, to help the Trump campaign, and the other one to hack the Democrat DNC emails. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- th- those are, you know, they haven't been proved because the defendants haven't shown up in court, but those have nothing to do with Ms. Food. How do you say his name? Mifsud. Mifsud or, or any of that. So I, I, it, this so, has never made any sense. Well, Jeff, CNN is uh, reporting that the last week that, that some witnesses have refused to uh, refused to be interviewed. So now that I mean, this will allow them to compel testimony, won't it? I mean, well, it, it'll allow them to um, subpoena them. Uh-huh. You can always take the fifth if someone subpoenas you. But but. So they could not testify. They could not. And now, you know, just to go ahead, they could give them immunity and force them to testify. So, I mean, there are ways the government can can try to compel someone to give testimony. And, and a criminal investigation has more tools at its disposal than the, the inquiry, the status that was before. All right, Jeff Tubin, thank you. Uh, Director Clapper uh, as well. Thank you very much. Not what we originally planned to talk about, but uh, you certainly... Uh Looks like you're in the middle of this. So I appreciate you being on. Thank you. Uh, The remarkable suggestion coming up that President Trump had today for Kurds being driven from their homes by the invasion that he essentially greenlighted. Another busy night. Let's check in with Chris. See what he's working on for Cuomo primetime. A lot to choose from, Chris. You oppose this president and you're in his party. You scum, Anderson. That's what you are. Stephanie Grisham. Yep. They deserve to be talked about that way. One of the things I'm doing with all my guests tonight on that side of the aisle, as a point of civility, how we disagree matters. That is something that cannot stand, that cannot be approved. If you can't get past that point, I'll have no further discussion with anybody. If you can't own that we can't be that way with each other just on the basis of opposition, there's nothing else to talk about. On the point of substance, if this guy Morrison, who's still in the White House, who was on the July 25th call, is as expected corroborative of what Taylor said, How can you say that nothing done here was wrong? Not impeachable, not worthy of removal, just wrong. Uh, We'll be looking forward to it, Chris. A lot to cover. Thanks very much. About five minutes from now. Up next, having already taken credit for saving their lives, President Trump now has a suggestion for the Kurds of northern Syria now facing Turkish troops in their home territory. We'll read it to you word for word and show you why the Kurds may not exactly be thrilled to hear the president's advice. 
More tonight in the ongoing Syria crisis, President Trump says he's had a conversation with the leader of the Syrian Kurds. Quote, I really enjoyed my conversation with General Maslum Abdi, the president said in a tweet. He appreciates what we have done, and I appreciate what the Kurds have done. Perhaps it is time for the Kurds to start heading to the oil region. By saying that, last part, the president is in effect suggesting the Kurds move far away from their traditional homelands, in effect ethnically cleansing themselves from the entire region and instead move hundreds of miles away to a region dominated by Arabs who may not exactly welcome them with open arms. Military experts say the Syrian Democratic Forces, a mixture of Kurdish and Arab fighters, do have a presence in that area. However, relocating the entire Syrian Kurdish population, something that has never been previously suggested. The president's tweet came after two defense officials told CNN that the Pentagon is considering plans to deploy tanks to those oil fields. Other officials said it is possible that lighter weight armored vehicles like Bradley or striker fighting vehicles could be sent because tanks could require an extensive number of troops to operate. The news continues. I want to hand it over to Chris in Cuomo Primetime. Chris.